people come and seek us out and they, they really want to come and thank you for a meal they've had. We've had old guys, old Italian guys come over glazed with a little tear in their eye just telling me like, this just reminds me of home or something. And that's, that's the best bit. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. One thing that has emerged over the last five years or so is the prevalence of boutique hospitality groups bringing back some of the long lost modes of hospitality with bespoke restaurants with a singular and focused offering. Pip Pratt is the executive chef of Liquid and Larder, which includes the Gidley, Bistecca and the Rover. Pip, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, really good. How are you? Good. It's great to get you on the show. Your uh, group has delivered some pretty amazing restaurants in the last um, few years or so. Um, how are things? Yeah, all right. Re- all right, really. Just um, just trying to juggle life with, yeah, three restaurants and then also, yeah, three kids and making that kind of work just around, around that, really. Um, yeah, sometimes it's mental and uh, others it's just less than mental. So it's... Um, yeah, it can be tough, but it's um, it, it lets you kind of kind of know who you are, really. Well, you do sound busier than the average person. Three kids is a handful enough, let alone three very different restaurants. That are, you, tell us a little bit about the group and what you guys do, because your restaurants, you know, harp back to you know some of the lost art forms of hospitality, but they're really focused on a central idea. Each one. Yeah. So. So what have we got? We got um, so Bistecca. We opened just just about six years ago, like pretty much on the nose. Um, and that came about because one of the bosses went to Italy, went on holiday just for a, a mission with his missus, and came back with these this tale of these restaurants that do these just do one thing. They do it like amazingly well, and they're always really small, family-run kind of ideas. We thought, can we do this idea in Sydney? We kind of, so we visited the idea a good few times going, how do we keep a nod to the tradition? And then also... The Brontosaurus monsters, and they serve them pretty rare, like pretty... ...with eating a bit more of it, so it's not, you know, it doesn't make you feel as sick with that much fat. So then we go, look, how do we take that kind of idea? No one's going to eat it rare to blue over in Sydney. Well, we get we get someone in. He comes in every now and again. He gets 1.5 kilos of blue. And he's he's a daring man, to be honest. But no one... So we went, how do we get that ready for Sydney? People are going to want to order it rare. They're going to want to order it well done. How do we make it work? How do we make it fast? Sydney lifestyle. Tinkered with a few nods to do the tradition got some white beans on the menu, the bistecca itself, and then we, we cut it in front of them. There's a great big fire. It's it's loud. It's tight tables. It's it's a bit noisy. It's a bit... And you can have a chat to the chefs. So you can you can kind of see what's going on. You get shown the steak, and it's 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 great. It's it's um it's really good fun to work at as well as as eat as a punter. Um, and then we got the gidley, which is a couple of years after that because we realised there was a lot of want to come in and spend that kind a lot more money and be kind of lavished upon them they want to be made comfortable in a kind of rich and plush surrounding so the gilly camera kind of came along as almost the rich 
uncle. So you go around to his house and you can't, I don't know if you've got a rich uncle, I don't, but um, <laughs> my, my tools and bits of machinery and old motorbikes. But um, yeah, if someone's imaginary rich uncle, you go in the house, it's soft, it's, 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 it makes you relax. You go in, you just want to sit and, and it sounds a bit cheesy to leave your worries at the door, but kind of relax into it and forget that you might have to go back to the office or call up and cancel a meeting, that kind of thing. Um, and then the Rover, the Rover itself is, was the wild Rover and we've had that in the company for 10 years. And the area, that Surrey Hills area was, it was one of the first bars in that area at the time. And since over that past 10 years, they've had Fido, Nomad, um, and a couple of other hosts of wine bars. And I think Bar H was across the road. Now it's, it's uh, Pellegrino 2000. And the whole area has been a bit more elevated. So the Wild Rover, as ever, the area got elevated, the Wild Rover was a bit more wild. And it got wilder and wilder. And there was whiskey shots and all this kind of craziness. So they went, look, we want to let it match the area, match the clientele kicking around. So we've always sold oysters. We always sold bits of seafood and stuff. And that's always worked quite well, because we, especially with whiskey pairings and things like that. So they went, let's push the oyster. Let's brighten it up. Let's open up all the fronts so it's not a hidden kind of dirty, dingy bar anymore. It's, it's, it's a, a nice, bright place that makes you want to go and eat some nice food. Um, just trying to keep in that neighborhood kind of feel, because it is, it's on the edge of Surrey Hills. So there's the amount of people who live there and the amount of people who want to eat nice things more often is um, we want to keep that feel in the venue as well, um, and it's nice, it's cute, I love it. It's 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 a good fun little place to work, and the team's small and young, and and it's 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 great. You've also um, got a new restaurant on the horizon, Alfie. Tell us about what that will be. Uh, Alfie's is a place where we want to. It came about through. I'm sure you might have heard about the the rising price in beef, which is um, kind of kicking us a bit. Um, but it's nothing to do with nothing to do with the supplier or anything like that. It's just what's happening in the world through costs and all that kind of jazz. So to manage the the price in beef and then the the inconsistencies you get around the product because we use the the Riverine Premium this 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 product and brand that we use at Bistecca, we also use it at the Gidley. Um, and we want to use the, the sirloin part. So if the steak is the T-bone, the Gidley's the ribeye, we want to champion this sirloin idea at Alfie's and use kind of as a, Alfie's is a centralised in our butchery. So we can pick pick and choose how long we wet age things for, how long we dry it out for, and kind of keep consistency as, as, as good as possible and as, as consistent as possible um, across all the companies. And... Um, and it should be fun. It should be. It's going to be a a faster sirloin restaurant, kind of going away from all the, the woods and of a normal steakhouse to be a bit more city and urban, fast paced um, place. So it's it's not going to look like a normal steakhouse. What's it like for you trying to manage um, multiple venues like this? I mean, you mentioned the three kids as well, but what does it take for you to make sure all the restaurants are firing on all cylinders? It's um, getting people we trust in in, in headship positions, really. People that we trust, and we, we make a point of finding, if we, we find these talents 
who we who, who we get on well with initially. I mean, because we spend so much time with these people, we have to make sure that we, we all see eye to eye. And a lot of the people that we work with, they're our friends. So the, the we, we all babysit each other's kids. We we everyone everyone kind of helps out. It's a great big family, which is I know a lot of people talk about hospitality as a big family. It really, really is, and we we really drive it as a company to to get those people in positions and get it so it, it just builds a higher level of trust with each other. And because of that, we trust in people's decisions. We trust everyone understands, and we all communicate well together with with the idea of what the restaurants are. Um, and that's about it, really. Putting a lot of trust in people with a lot of talent. Well, I want to explore your food a little bit more um, shortly, but take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play for you growing up? Uh, not a massive one. It was more um, more just fuel and feeding young, energetic boys. And oh, I've come from a family of four kids. So it was mostly just mum trying to feed us economically um, and in a way that we, we still get some decent vitamins in us and we're not just eating frozen pizzas all the time, really. Um, <clears throat> there was no, like, there was, there was no peeling, putting peas on my, my grandma's knee while, you know, looking over the cows running around in a field, that kind of thing. It's, it was a, I grew up in a, a northern town, uh, like 40 minutes from Manchester, an old industrial town. Uh, but on the outskirts of that, so we, had, we, we, you know, we had a great childhood running around fields and forests and stuff. But no, like, no food, like, glowing image of what my childhood was. But it kind of, it kind of came about when we went, when I went to college, and I kind of went in thinking I was going to, because I, I grew up in a moderately rock and roll family where we all played instruments, and I wanted to be a drummer, thinking I was cool. Um, and then we went to college and. That first, the, the orienta- orientation day around college, went into the music department and they were going, oh, what, do you, what, what, what instruments do you play? And I was like, oh, the drums. And they were going, oh, well, we're really sorry. We don't see drums as a, it's not a musical instrument. So we don't have a course because it's a progression, in, a progression instrument. And I was going, you are. So I, I instantly just kind of <laughs> sacked that off in my mind. And then I was with my mum going, well, what am we going to do? And we wandered past um, the catering department. She went, do you want to, let's go and have a look in here. I mean, you always like, the only thing you can remember from holidays and stuff is whatever ice cream you ate or whatever sandwich you had on some beach somewhere. Like, let's go and have a chat to them. I went in and they were, they were so much fun. They had so much, like, zest for life and zest for what they were doing. The tutors, I'm, I'm still in touch with them. They're, like, they're, 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 I consider them all friends and they were, they were, they were great and they, they really did really well in, finding people who either hadn't done well there was a lot of people on the course who hadn't done well in school i did all right i passed passed all of my my exams and i i wasn't i wasn't too i wasn't dumb by any stretch of the imagination but i just didn't know what i wanted to do and they kind of went look we can we, we do this course and sometimes you do pastry sometimes you do butchery sometimes you're only in three days a week and that immediately got me i was like three days a week that sounds ace so then I went, so three days a week i mean and then after that, I realized that it was, there was more to it. There's so much more you could learn. I, and I realized that it, it was because it was such a hands-on course. I, and I'm, one of the, the great things that I've, I've realized I'm quite good at is just using my hands and doing stuff with my hands. So I immediately took to butchery and pastry and everything like that around it, um, which was great. 
it was really good. And then, so it was, yeah, it was really down to those tutors who really kind of went, this is the course. And they really painted it in such a way. And the course itself was, was so, so practical. It was, it was great. Early on in your career, what were the sort of venues and people that you worked with that really helped shape sort of the path that you went on? Um, um, I got a, I got a job straight out of college, um, in a place in Southampton, um, with a guy called Damien Brown, who used to go to our college as well. So they kind of kept that contact through with the, the, the catering course. And from there, he, he really kind of took me under his wing and showed me what actually a, a, a professional kitchen was about. And it was, it was just a gastro pub in a medium small town. It was, it wasn't, wasn't any light years away ahead of anything but it was just good and it really gave me a good background on how to do things and obviously there was lots of shouting and there was there's it, it, it was a kitchen and it was it was a good few years ago so we did long hours but it was it was really fun and I, it, for the first two years i didn't even consider it really a job just somewhere you could you turn up you you worked hard you learned loads the chefs took you out and you, you had a few beers after work. You all turned up hungover the next day. And it was, it was, it was this big, big family part of it. There was another couple of guys who used to go to the college as well. And it was, it was, it was really good fun, but it really taught us like a good backbone on what is right and what is wrong in cooking, um, which was great. And um, I've on and off, I worked with him again a couple of times, one more time in London and one more time in, in Winchester. Um, and we're, we're, we're still in contact to this day and yeah, I love him loads for everything, <laughs> for everything he taught me and how not, how not to be an idiot basically, which was, was a very, very good grounding. What was your time like uh, in, in the UK and the cooking that you did there before you came to Australia? Um, bum, 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 bum. I did, did a stint at a place called Bentley for Richard Corrigan. Um, which is funny because the two Bentleys that I've worked at, the one in London and the one at, in Sydney, are the two hardest jobs I've ever done, um, <laughs> which which is a bit fun. And Richard Carrigan is this man mountain. I'm, I'm sure you've seen him. He's he seems about seven foot five tall. He's 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 a, he's a big man with a big personality, and he was big and he was a bit big and scary for someone who coming from Southampton, thinking I was I was I've been there for a couple of years, three years or something. And I thought I was pretty good. You go to London and realise that you're really terrible, <laughs> and you, to keep up with the, to, with the the competitive, it was really competitive then. It was just any the the turnover of staff was high, and you really had to be you really had to want to be there, and you really had to want to work hard to learn and to to get ahead. Um, so that was good. It was it was tough at Corrigan's. It really was. Um, and then I. I Skipped around, came to Australia for a year, and then went back. And back in the UK, I did a boutique hotel in Devon, which was glorious. It was 12 rooms. The restaurant overlooked this valley. It was a river. There was fields of wild flowers. It was, like, picture perfect. Amazing. It was super good. So I did that for a year. And then I went to work at Club Gascon, a one-star place in London, um, for this seemingly crazy man pascal osignac he's um the, he's he's french he's everyone spoke french in the kitchen so it was probably 30 percent english it was tough to understand it was really hard for the first three months because no one trusts you with anything but i remember them saying if you last three months you, you hit the wall the hall of fame and i was like 
the Hall of Fame after three months. Like, what's that about? But it was true. We on my third day, I was having to train someone because people just dropped out, and it was it, because it was it was fast. The menu was 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 big, but it was in. Pascal was all seeing and all knowing, and he. But the the team was small. There was only seven of us, but it was great. I learned about the ins and outs of foie gras massively. How and I, I moved around all sections in the kitchen. It was great. He was and he taught us how to cook with with all your senses. It's not just about cooking to a temperature. It's not just about is that frying? It's like it, you're touching, smelling, even before taste, you're using all of your senses to make sure something's right. So if it doesn't look right, it's definitely not going to taste right. So there's lots of, there was lots of that. So yeah, you burnt yourself, you cut yourself, but you really, you really knew the product. You really kind of had a, it, it, it was, it was great working for him. Um, yeah. And I was, I think, yeah, sad, kind of sad to go, but we, we came back. I was with my, my missus now and she's from Australia. So we're, we're coming back and it was it was time to leave but it was good what was it like for you moving to australia was it hard to get into the industry here uh no initially no um it's uh, you come over with these ideas of because everyone tells you in the uk oh you go to australia you get paid thousands and thousands of dollars and you and you do it's true but it's all relative obviously to how much you have to pay for rent and things like that but um so you come with these starry eyes going it's going to be great you're going to be on the beach every day you're gonna and you still you still actually see that quite a bit you see a lot of brits come across or a lot from from ireland and scotland and they come across thinking they're gonna have an easy life it's you still have to work hard <laughs> like it's not like it's not a holiday so i'm, I'm almost harder on the english people because i'm like you should you should know better <laughs> like you've come across to try and have an easier life but you see like i i know i know what kind of background they've got if they worked in london i'm like you're gonna be tough so you should be right um, but coming over it, I mean, there's, there's always been jobs. There's, it, it was, there was a lot more, it was a little bit more competitive then than it is now. Oh, there's, there's a, there's a big gap in, um, chef to parties, really. There's, there's not many of them kicking around. Um, so if you come over and you're a chef to party, you'll, you'll never be wanting for a job. You can, you'll be snapped up straight away. Um, but no, it wasn't, yeah, the transition from, England to here was, was easy. Well, I mean, everyone speaks English, so it's not really, it's not that hard. Um, and I've been, over, yeah, it was, it, it wasn't too bad. I quite enjoyed it. I know I must like it because I'm still here. <laughs> well, what's some of the venues that you worked at in Australia before you made your way to the Liquid and Lada group? Um, I did Sean's Kitchen, which was in the casino when it was there. Uh, that was Sean Connolly's place. And um, my, that's where I met my missus. Um, we there was a there was a good gang of us. There was a load of English, Irish, Brazilians, Australians, all working under one big under one big roof. And it was it really brought the team together. It was there was I'm still in contact with with all of them. We're all good mates. We all go and see each other every couple of months, and it, it's great. It was a really good team there. Um, after that was when I went back to the UK, and then I came back and I wanted to work somewhere somewhere big and brutal and good and obviously everyone had heard of Bentley because of his book that Brent had, Brent had brought out a few years ago and it was the book that all chefs had like we all had it we're all going well, what is this bike it looks amazing it's 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 artistic I'm sure you've got it it's 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 this big black book it's, it's beautiful so I was going I'm gonna go away there and 
I got a job. We start, I started off at Yellow when it was still meaty. Um, and it was it was good and it was it was hard and but it was good. And Brent has this way of 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 getting so much trust in him. He's, he's got a way of getting you to not getting you to do what he wants essentially because he's your boss. But like everyone, everyone has so much faith in Brent because he's that good. Um, so yeah, I worked there with uh, Adam Wolfie for a bit of yellow, and then when the new Bentley opened at the Radisson, I went and I was on the opening team there, and it was hard. It was it was really hard, like one of those 80, 90, 100 hour week back to back hard. Um, so I did that for a bit, and then one day, one day what was I doing? I bumped into an old front of house uh, of one of one of the waiters at a wine a wine thing down at the carriage works, and he went. I'd lost loads of weight. I was like 63 kilos and I'm, I'm six foot one. So I was a rake. Um, and he was going, come on, come and have a chat with these guys. And that was over in Balmain, uh, a place called Wilhelmina's where the boys had a, a small wine bar. So I went and went to have a chat and they went, we need a hand helping run it and come in his Sue. So I went, all right. He went, these are the hours. This is, you'll, you'll have a better life. And and it was, and the, the tr- transition from kind of fine dining to that wine bar kind of feel was 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 a bit hard because it's getting your head around the, the clientele, and it was it's super local and super neighbourly. Um, and that's how I, that was that was me and the company, and that was nine years ago, um, which is a bit yeah a bit of a stint. And then after that, we did Bistecca, and we realised that we, we, the amount of effort we were sticking into Bistecca, we we're taking home. You know, five times the amount of money. So we went, oh, Wilhelmina's, when we called it a day on there. It's still there. It's, it's, Wilhelmina's is still there as, as, a, as a venue, but someone else is running it. So there you go. So cooking over fire has become a feature of sort of what you do. What, what did you do in regards to sort of researching and, and learning the, the art of cooking over fire? Well, at Wilhelmina's, we already had a, a charcoal and wood um, grill with a little, with a little cable maneuver so we went up and down and it was it was great and um, that was my first um into uh, my well, a baptism of fire if you put it um of cooking over it so we did a wide range of just bits of everything it was a lot of a lot of fails but a lot of a lot of good things came out of that learning period um just cooking little bits of fish like any old cuttlefish just chucking it over flames doing it with different bases and just seeing what happened and a lot of testing. I mean, we were probably part of the reason why we were slowly not making as much money because we were just testing things out all the time and, see, and seeing what would work. But I mean, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have kind of been as good. And it wasn't, we weren't as immediately all right at Biseca. I mean, Biseca, we started off and we kind of thought we knew what we were doing. And we've, we've, we've smoothened things out a bit now. We're, we're definitely, we're definitely all right now. Um, but you've been. Have you been Bisteca? Yeah, I've been to Bisteca. Yeah. Did you Did you enjoy it? Were you were there early on, or did you come? Um, very early on. I'm surprised that it was six years ago. It's, it seems that's um, such a long time ago, and it's. Um, I remember. I remember the uh, phones being put in special lockers or boxes. Yeah, there's. Um, there's been. It's been ace. I go to I go to restaurants now, and I, I kind of wait for someone to take my phone off me, <laughs> but, but no one does. It's really annoying, you know, like because you kind of like you. I always wish I wasn't around my phone half the time because you know you've just got people calling you left, right, and center. 
when you go in a restaurant, it's you see some people like fifty percent of people freak out, fifty percent just throw the phone and just like get it away from me. And it's it's great. It, 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 at both the the Gilly and Besteca, we we do it. Take the phones and it gives the restaurant atmosphere immediately. And just people are in, they're going, oh, we have, we're talking. <laughs> you see tables who might normally just be on their phones or might normally, you know, taking a photo of something. That's gone. People just have to talk and have to discuss and have to eat together. And it really brings, it really brings dining back to kind of how it should be. Tell us a little bit more about that, because we're in an age where, you know, people are taking photos of their dishes and putting them on social media and, um, you know, some of the art of hospitality is lost. Is there challenges in sort of taking people's phones away from them and wanting them to have a good night? Um, a little bit. Yeah, just people just people aren't away from their phones at all anymore. I mean, I think there's like a new there's a new breed of people who want to try and switch off from them, which are the ones who want to get rid rid of the phones. But most people love the phones they're on them probably more than they should be (laughs) if you know what i mean like there's a lot of people who just constantly on the phones and i think as a whole most people love it they want they want to the they like interacting with no with with people again and not having that that phone to kind of block conversation or if you don't have to rely on the phone for for a conversation or however they're, they're communicating it's it's much better. Like life's a lot better when you have actual personal connections with people. So um, taking people's phones away is um, it was a stroke of genius from the bosses. I loved it, and that actually came around because when they were on holiday, um, you're in these little Italian restaurants, and they had the phones out to take photos of things, and all the staff were kind of looking at them like, like put your phone like that's kind of put your phone away, and they felt embarrassed being in Italy taking photos of things. So they kind of went, oh, it's actually. It's actually a lot better. It's a lot better to not have it on. So that's kind of where that came from. Tell us a little bit about your food. I know you're looking after multiple venues, but what's what's your approach to dish creation and and your food? Um, well, obviously, there's a concept that we get kind of we get given and going. This is so the bistecca had this Italian has to have nods the, the tradition concept. Same with the gidli is is this. American steakhouse concept. So you go, and then the rover is kind of like a British seafood bistro. So we're going, these are the ideas. So then how do we, how do we take how we cook to fit into what it is? So we always just kind of go, every dish should have three big flavors, three big textures, pretty much. And then we, we work around, we work around that. Obviously there's the heroes, which is the steak of the T-bone. There's um, the fish, the, the whole fish. There's some flathead that we have at the Rover, uh, the Gidleys, the Spinalis or the ribeye or the roast that we have there, which are kind of those, I think there's a new trend calling it like um, naked main courses or something like that. So you just, you've got the, the, the main events and then everything around it. So there's a lot of work on starters and sides and three flavors, three textures. Cause like, to be honest, your mouth doesn't want really much more than that. Cause it just gets confusing. It has to be simple. But big, big solid flavors with it. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of all there is to it. And then, um, and then make sure. Don't even know where I'm going with that. No, that's about it. Yeah, three big flavors, three big textures. The last couple of years have been challenging for everyone. Has it has it changed the way uh, you look at your career and what you do? Oh, a little bit. I mean, those. I mean, those couple of lockdowns that we had. 
it was it was really nice to spend that time and see the kids that much um and you spend that much time with your with you see them grow a bit more and you spend all that time like homeschooling was pretty horrible i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say like fraternity my boy was four going on five how to read and write and do some maths and he's he's his attention spans like mine it's 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 <laughs> he wants to run around not do maths so it was kind of spending that amount of time with them was really nice to see them develop but then so that, that kind of when you when everyone went back to work you're going how can i still have parts of that in my working life and i think now i'm a little bit older i've definitely slowed down my knees hurt a little bit and that kind of thing so it's I'm not like we're not doing 50 60 70 hours anymore we're not like we we don't want anyone to do that and we and because as a company we don't want we don't want that for ourselves and for our families we also don't want it for our employees and they're off like they're the rest of our family really so everyone we've we've no one's doing millions of hours everyone gets looked after as well as we possibly can to keep the business going um and that's it i think i think COVID times has made people just think about what they do with the rest of their time sensibly, I think. Um, and yeah, and there's been a, a lot of looking after your own health as well, which is nice. So we're all a bit fitter. We're a bit older, but we're a bit fitter, which is great. Well, you guys are doing some amazing things and reintroducing the great art of hospitality into the Australian culinary landscape. What do you love about what you do? Um, for me, it's, it's the, like the customer interaction that we get because the rover's got an open kitchen upstairs you can people come and talk to you a bistecca the gilly's a little bit hidden away but people come in people come and seek us out and they they really want to come and thank you for a meal they've had or bistecca we've had we've had old guys old italian guys come over glazed with a little tear in their eye just telling me like this just reminds me of home or something and that's that's the best bit if if for me if i, I could lose my job tomorrow and I'll be happy because I've made that happen countless times to people and that's that's the best bit well Pip I look forward to seeing uh, what emerges with Alfie's in the coming weeks it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon no it's been great thank you very much this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>